0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, today we're wrapping up our our series, Life Multiplied. We've been talking about this series, and in this series we've been talking a lot about what does it mean to live a life that's on purpose or to live the life more abundantly. As Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full or life more abundantly. And today as we wrap up this series, the final topic today we're talking about is finances. And I want to encourage you today that if you have a Bible or you have a notepad, I want to encourage you to take notes on the content that I'm going to be speaking from today, because I really do believe this will be the most helpful conversation about giving and finances that you will ever hear in a church experience. And the reason why is because last summer I went on to a a cohort conference thing where the entire weekend was about generosity and finances. And I felt like for the first time in my life, it was explained to me in a way that actually made a lot of sense. And I think Light bulbs will be able to go off in your head as well. As we jump into this conversation, I wanna go back to the original questions that I asked at the beginning of this series of Life Multiplied. And these questions went something like this. Who will you be on December 31st, 2019? When the end of this year happens and the clock rings midnight, what will be different about your life? Because if you want something to be different about your life, you gotta make changes. We all know that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and thinking that we can get the same result or get a different result. Who will you be on December 31st, 2019? When it comes to giving, what will be different about your giving record? Or a different question, will you have lived the motto that Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive? Will you be more closer to Jesus on December 31st, 2019 than you were on February 24th, 2019? Will you have become generous with your wealth when that clock rings at midnight on December 31st of this year. See, when it comes to finances, I've grew up in a Christian home. I've grew up in the church. I've been around a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders. I've heard a lot of messages on giving. I've heard the room become very silent like it is right now when I mention the fact that we're talking about finances. Uh, I've, I've heard people be, be very uncomfortable with this. I've had my own pastor friends, my own mentors, my own leaders tell me how anxious they are about this message, about how worried they are about how it's going to come across, about how, you know, this and that, and they don't, they don't get sleep, and they're full of anxiety and worry, and they want their heart to be in the right place and I don't want people to think that they're after their money and this and this and this, this fear and this insecurities and these worries. I got to be honest, I slept great last night, okay? I slept so good last night. And here's why. As much as this conversation can be a difficult one, as much as churches are known for abusing the conversation of finances, or maybe you came from a church or have a bad experience with the topic of giving and finances and wealth, as much as those stories are out there, I just wanna be honest with you, those situations are not where I come from. Those situations have not happened to me. In fact, I've worked for a church now for close to 10 years that every year gives thousands of dollars away to missions, is always in the black, and it's always been financial stable for years now, where there's integrity and character and things are done appropriately week in and year in and year out. And so for me, as much as this topic may be very uncomfortable for some, as much as maybe finances have been used to manipulate people or have been used to abuse people or take advantage of people, or as much as you know, the church can be known for some of these things, which is unfortunate... And I, I, if that's you, I, I honestly, my heart is that God will touch your heart and reveal to you his character and nature. Ultimately, this conversation is not uncomfortable for me because here's what I know. I know that God wants to do something in your heart and in my heart. I know that there's something about this topic and about what Jesus said when he said in the gospels, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I believe with all of my heart that more than me wanting your wealth, God wants your heart. More than the church wanting your money, God wants your heart. In fact, one person came to Jesus one time and said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? To love the Lord God your heart, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, all the law and the prophets can be summed up on these two commandments. Jesus said, where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Jesus also said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And yet time and time again, as I've grown up in church most of my life, and I've heard messages on the topic of finances and giving, not only is the pastor scared, not only is he worried, not only is there uneasiness in the room, but it's such a sad topic. There's no joy in it. There's just so much fear and insecurity, and I want to encourage you today, this should be a joyful topic. In fact, if you give, and you give regularly, and you've seen God bless you in your finances and in your family, then I would believe today, you should be shouting amen. I believe today, if you've seen the benefits of what you can do when you live with a heart of giving, I believe today, you're going to be like, man, that was the best message I've ever heard. Why? Because you're living it. It's only for people who get uncomfortable with these conversations who are not really living it. And I want to encourage you today, by God's grace, you're going to leave today living it, or at least be challenged to live it. Jesus said it was more blessed to give than to receive, and I don't need to convince you of this if you're a parent. In fact, I got two sweet little girls, Lydia and June, and I joke around all the time, but the truth is, they own me, okay? They own me. They own every part of my life, okay? And sometimes I want to give them back, okay? But they own me, especially Lydia right now. She's in my bed every night, coughing in my face, and I love it, okay? I'm barely getting any sleep, and I love it. But they own me. And one of the best things about having kids when they earn it, but sometimes even when they don't earn it, especially at Christmas time, is giving to your kids. There's just something that happens inside your heart when you have children. If you've had kids, that were, when you when you give something to them, it grows your heart. Something happens inside your heart when you get to bless and give to your kids. At Christmas time, I used to, I still do. I love, I love, I love receiving gifts. To be honest with you, like I love my birthday. I love Christmas. We, my, my wife and I, still exchange gifts to this day. But once we had kids, I realized, man, it's great receiving gifts. It's great when someone blesses you and gives you something nice, but it's far more greater when you're the person giving it and you see their smile, you see their reaction, you see what God's doing in their life by doing that. And the same goes for you and I as God's children. See, God wants to give us the, the necessary things that we need to live this life. I've spoken on this topic before and I always like to think about it in this way. God wants to take care of our needs and continue to pour out his grace upon our lives when you and I live like this. When we live open-handedly with our finances. When we live like this and we choose to go, okay, God, everything I have is yours and I wanna use it to steward it well. Here's what happens. God has the ability to continue to pour out extra grace and measure upon our life when we live like this but the opposite is when we live like this not only does our heart grow bitter not only do we grow more distant from God but what happens is we can't bless and give anything to others when we live like this and God can't get anything in here when we live like this but there is something powerful about a giving spirit There is something powerful when you realize, wow, God, everything I have is a gift from you and I just get to use it for your glory and your purposes. That's a powerful reality. For the sake of time today, the Bible is full of so much stuff about giving. For the sake of time today, I'm only going to talk about what Jesus said about money. Because I think some people go, well, you know, the tithes in the Old Testament, but we don't see it in the New. Or, well, Paul said these things, but Jesus said these things. And I want to tell you, man, there are so many conversations. We could do a whole series on finances and giving and talk about all these different things. I'm just going to primarily focus on what Jesus had to say about giving. And then I'm going to get super practical and talk about what has changed my life when it comes to the topic of money And finances. But I think for the sake of this topic and today, let's pray for God's word. So why don't you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you today that this can be a joyful topic. God, we don't have to be nervous. We don't have to deal with insecurity or fear. I thank you, God, even now, it is your Holy Spirit that is speaking and drawing people to you, God. And Lord, we know this to be true. You're a giving God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And I pray today, God, it wouldn't be, God, how amazing my words are, because they're not. It would be the words of your holy scriptures that speak to us once again when it comes to the topic of our wealth and our finances. Do it once again in all of our hearts today, God. In your good name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, number one, Jesus' disciples serve God, not money. If you're taking notes, point number one, Jesus' disciples serve God, not money. In Luke 16, one through 15, in the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus teaches us that it's impossible to serve two masters. We have to make a choice. And it's imperative that his disciples make God, not money, the ultimate priority of our lives. Jesus clearly teaches us through this story that we are stewards or managers to everything we have, meaning we should hold on to Jesus and let everything else be used by him. Jesus' disciples are called to serve God and not money. In fact, at one point, there was a guy that came to Jesus. He was the rich young ruler, and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you should do this thing and this thing and this, and he did all these things. He said, well, Jesus, I've done all these things, and, the person, and Jesus said, okay, well, then you should sell everything that you have and give all your possessions away to the poor. Anybody remember this story and what happens? The rich young ruler walks away sorrowful because he had great wealth. See, the issue for the rich young ruler was not that he wasn't following the things that God wanted him to follow. The issue for the rich young ruler was that the one thing that God wanted was his heart and the one thing in the way of his heart was his wealth. We cannot serve both God and money. We have to serve either one or the other. Number number two here, if you're taking notes, Jesus' disciples give inconspicuously not publicly. In Matthew 6, 1-4, Jesus teaches us an aspect of how to give. The context addresses the issue of how to act in such a way that God rewards one's religious activities of giving, prayer, and fasting. The disciples' motives are key. In verses two through four, he addresses giving as a religious activity and teaches that God rewards one's giving when it's a private personal matter between the giver and God, as opposed to a public display to win the praise of men. So we don't, we don't give to get popular. We, we don't give to make it a public display. In fact, we don't give so that other people will notice. In fact, I know people in this room that have earned the right and love to give to people and are very generous with their wealth. But the reason why I know that is because they've done that to me personally, not because they make a show of it. See, the purpose of this conversation is for us to recognize what is the heart behind why we give. If the heart behind why we give is so that the pastor or the pastors or the leaders of the church know that you give, we're giving out of the wrong heart. If the purpose of why we give is so other people know that we do those things, other people know that we're generous, and they see what we do, we're doing it out of the wrong heart. It's meant to be done in a private matter between you and God. And I've joked around, too, about the idea of fasting as well, because Jesus dealt with prayer, fasting, and giving in Matthew 6. Out to lunch with your friends. It's a brunch after church, and you're all sitting around the table. And you know you're ordering the burger. Your wife's ordering the salad, and then your buddy next to you is like, "Oh, I'm just gonna have water." I go, well, "Why are you only having water?" "Oh, no, I'm just not hungry." "Oh, really? Well, we haven't ate all day. I mean, we just got here. It's like one o'clock. It's lunch. Oh, well, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting." <laughs> like, shut it, okay? Like, shut it, okay? It's the idea of the intention. What is the intention of my heart when I give or when I pray or when I fast? Number three, if you're taking notes here, Jesus' disciples invest in heavenly treasures, not earthly treasure. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus teaches that what we do with our money says something about what we truly value in life. He exhorts his disciples to store up treasure in heaven, heavenly treasure, not on earth, earthly treasure, because when we store up our treasure or where we store up our treasure reveals where our hearts are. His reference to the heart and to the treasure represent our priorities and values in life that ultimately affect our decisions. Are they set on this life or the life to come? And honestly, this is a very personal thing, but if you were to get very honest about your bank account or your ledger on your check, checking, check, you know, book or whatever, or your, you know, monthly statement that you, you get in the mail, and you were to look at that and get honest with yourself and your spouse about where your money actually goes, I can guarantee you, you'll see whether or not you pour more into heavenly treasure or pour more into earthly treasure. You got to be very honest about it though, right? Because you can look at it and go, man, for, for my family, man, Starbucks definitely gets a lot of that earthly treasure. Or wow, my, wow, if you really calculate how much we ate out this, holy moly, man, we ate out, wow. You know what I'm saying? But you have, to be very, you have to be able to be honest with yourself about where your money's really going and whether or not you're building heavenly treasure. Number four here, if you're taking notes. God provides for the material needs of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples may hesitate to give because they're worried about such common necessities of life as clothing and food. In Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus addresses this concern. He commands us not to worry about such matters as the food we eat or the clothes we wear, Because if we put his kingdom and his righteousness first, he will provide for all of these needs. And I guarantee you people would say amen to this. Because time and time again, they've seen that when they've lived open-handedly, when they lived recognizing that they're a manager and a steward of everything God's given them, they've seen that they continue to watch their life and their family be taken care of. I'll never forget in college, I went to school in Oklahoma at Oral Roberts University. I lived in Tulsa for three years. Amazing school, amazing, awesome opportunity, but I had no money. Like a typical college student, all of it was on loans and in student debt, and I had no money, but I had a P.O. box. And at my P.O. box, I could get mail in the mail from families and friends and that kind of stuff. I'll never forget one time I needed books for one of my classes. And what happens is, you know, you get a loan and you get a grant and you get some scholarships. But what ends up happening is sometimes for whatever reason on a certain semester, you're, you're short, whatever it was. I think it was like $470 I was short on this semester for the books I need to buy for, for my classes. And I, I never forget going, man, God, all my life, other than now that I don't work and I'm in school all my life. God, I've been faithful. I've given, you've taken care of me. You've taken care of my needs. Now I have all this debt. I don't know how you're gonna do that down the road. That's a different story for a different day. I'll tell you how God took care of that. But all of a sudden, my like, God, I just need this $470. I'll never forget going to my P.O. box. My like, God, maybe somebody sent me something in the mail or something, some family member counted me out. And I opened my P.O. box and it was absolutely nothing in the mail. Okay? Like, totally, God does not provide for his disciples. Okay? So I'm like, okay, God, I guess you're not hearing my prayer today. But I'll never forget the day of the classes when I got into the first class and the professor going, okay, here's the syllabus and the books and all that kind of stuff. And I remember leaving all my classes that day, walking by the bookstore, freaking out about what I was going to do because I needed these books and the classes started. I needed them. I'm like, okay, God, I'll just go check the paper box. Maybe one more time. Maybe somebody gave half or something. And I forget, I went to that, that thing. There was one little envelope in there and it was a letter from my grandma. I spoke about my grandma a few months back. It was a letter from my grandma. And in that, she wrote me a check out of nowhere for $500. It was the best thing ever. I'm like, bam, you did it again, God. And that's just one. Honestly, that is one of hundreds of stories where God has taken care of our needs. Now, now, hear what I'm saying. It's not that I always have what I want, okay? Because there's a lot of things I want. I'm talking about my needs, I'm talking about my family's needs, a roof over our head, food on our table, clothes on our back, the ability to live in a comfortable home and be blessed. I'm talking about the way God takes care of his people. In fact, Jesus used birds of the air and lilies of the field to describe how he cares for his people who give with an open hand and live open-handedly with their wealth. He's like, listen, I give birds of the air food I grow the lilies of the field. If I do those simple things in life that you see every single day, how much more will God take care of you when you live open-handedly trusting God with your finances? Can I hear an amen? God provides for the material needs of his disciples. Number five here, if you're taking notes, a couple more for you and then we're gonna get super practical Jesus' disciples, number five here, give in proportion to what they have. Mark twelve forty-one through 44, tells the famous story of how on one occasion, the rich were giving large amounts of money to the temple treasure, whereas a poor widow gave only two small coins worth little. Jesus uses this offering of the poor woman to address another key aspect of giving, how much one should give. In this story, Jesus teaches that the amount one gives should be in proportion to what one has. More is expected from those who have more. Less is expected from those who have less. The goal, though, is that you give out of what you do have. See, a lot of times as a young person, you know, you may only get like an allowance of $20 a week. I and mean, you're like, wow, that's really high in your family. Maybe you get $10 or $5. So there's not a lot of money to your name right now as a student or a young person. But I would encourage you that even as a young person, a student or a child, you can begin to learn the principle. Okay, I got $20, God. Well, I can live like this and buy all of it, get my Wendy's and my Sonic and my rock stars. Or I can go, okay, you know, maybe I don't need the rock stars. In fact, you don't. You don't need the rock stars, okay? But I can use that $20 and I I can give something of that to God. No, it's not a lot in my eyes, in my mind. I make a lot more money than $20, but in your mind, it's huge. But as parents and as leaders over our families, if we can begin to teach our kids to even now at this young of an age, learn to live like this, when they grow older and they grow wiser, they begin to learn that everything is not mine. Everything is actually ours. Wow, man, this is so good. Okay, well, we'll move on here. Last one for you. Jesus' disciples opt for giving over receiving. Talked about this just a minute ago. Using Jesus' words, Paul reveals in Acts 20, 35 what our attitude toward giving should be. Paul tells us that Christ believed it is more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing in our lives come not from what we get, but from what we give. I can try to convince you of it, I can try to sell you on it, I can try to get you to believe that this is true, but I guarantee you, you gotta first start living it. You can only live it. If you begin to live it, I guarantee you, you'll see it. If you can be honest today and go, you know what, Andrew, man, I really live like this. In fact, Out of any topic in this Life multiply series, I hate that you dealt with this one because I'm really like this. If I'm being fully honest, I believe it's mine. I work hard for it. It's mine. I don't want anybody touching it, especially not the church because for whatever reason, I don't trust you or the church. Can I tell you right now that one of the greatest things you can begin to do by the power of the Holy Spirit is just move one finger to open up And watch what God does. Because for some, it's going to be that step. This is what I learned last summer that I want to talk about here as we end the message today. I'm going to take, I'm going to go over for a very specific reason. This is something I learned last summer that I think is a really powerful thing about what it means to actually become a generous person. We talk a lot about how we will lead the way with the rational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. We tell people all the time, you need to be generous. You need to become generous. You need to be faithful in your giving. But what I learned last summer was something that was revolutionary to my mind when it comes to finances. Now, if you've heard this before or if it's not revolutionary to you, that's okay. I believe it's for somebody in this room. One of the things that I realized growing up in church my whole life is that when we talked about the Bible, a spiritual discipline, reading and taking in the word of God, we don't tell someone to go, hey, Josiah, start reading the whole Bible today and 30 days from now, I want the whole thing done. We don't do that. We tell people, hey, if you're new to the scriptures and you're new to the Bible, go ahead and maybe start reading the book of James, great book for a new believer, or maybe the book of John and take it in bite-sized chunks. Take about you know, 10 to 15 minutes a day, download a Bible reading plan or grab it in the lobby today at the guest table and begin to read the Bible little by little by little. Till so by the time the year ends, you would have read the whole Bible in a year by just setting aside 15 minutes of time of your day. See, we don't ask people to read the whole Bible in a month unless it's like some crazy, super you know, difficult challenge you wanna to prove to yourself you can read that much. But on the spiritual side, it's a baby step. Anybody ever seen the movie, What About Bob? Just raise your hand. Great movie, okay? Great movie. Bill Murray, love it, okay? But that whole movie is about baby steps. Just just a little step at a time. We do the same thing when it comes to health and physical fitness. We don't tell you, go run a marathon today for the very first time. That would be ludicrous. What I would say to you is start walking three times a week. Then maybe do a 5K and then maybe a 10K and then maybe do a few of those for a while. Then maybe jump up to a half of a marathon and then maybe from there, go for the marathon. But we wouldn't tell you, it wouldn't be smart from any physical professional to tell you, hey, just go to the gym and start benching 150 on the, no. We would say start with the bar first, then put on some 10s, then put on some 20s, then put on some four or whatever the case may be. We would say start small, small and work your way forward to that. Same thing for prayer. I wouldn't say to you, go on a prayer retreat for five days in a row if you've never practiced prayer in your entire life. That would probably be the exact opposite of what I would tell you. I'd first probably tell you, hey, you probably should learn about what the Bible teaches about prayer. Probably should learn about different conversations in the Bible about what prayer does. Then I would say, once you learn the theology of prayer and you believe it and understand it, then I would say, man, maybe start five minutes a day. Setting aside time to pray. Then maybe 10, then maybe 20. Then maybe you start having a prayer journal. Then maybe go on a prayer retreat. Sure, it's amazing. Same thing with marriage and relationships. We, w- we wouldn't say to you if, you if you were married, hey, you know what you need to do is go on a date night every single night for the next 30 days to make your marriage better. That would be stupid. And you couldn't afford it, and neither could I. What we would say is, hey, if you have kids, get a sitter. Find someone to watch them and maybe at least twice a month, spend time with pursuing your spouse and doing something with them where you're spending not just time together, but quality time together. Baby steps. And yet, when we talk about finances, my whole entire life, and we've talked about tithing, we have never done this process. When you're new to faith in Christ, what we tell you is that, hey, not only should you take up the Bible, not only should you learn how to pray, but you need to start giving 10%. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this before. Go ahead and raise your hand for me. Yeah, you need to give 10% to the church right out of the gate because God wants to do more with your 90% than you can do with 100 by yourself. And I wanna tell you that that doesn't work for most people. And here's why. Because they've never given before. They don't know where to start. And to ask someone to give 10% of their income when they're new to faith in Christ is the same way of saying, read the entire Bible in 30 days and see if you can do it. It doesn't work. It's not a baby step approach. And so with this thought and with this idea, I wanna explain this for the next five minutes, the generosity ladder. And we're gonna put it up on the screen here. This is the Grove Church generosity ladder. If you have your phones, take a picture of it. If you wanna write down all the wording because you're like me, Go ahead and take a picture of it. I'm going to let it soak in for a minute here. Take a drink of water, and I'm going to explain the giving ladder. Again, keeping in mind, generosity is something I want for you, not from you. This is not something I want from you. It's something I want for you. If you're sitting here today going, man, all he wants is more of my money, I'm here to tell you you've missed the whole heart of this entire message. But let me explain the generosity ladder for all of us today because I believe this is a great place to start when it comes to steps towards becoming generous because here's the thing. I think ultimately, we wake up living like this. Ultimately, we live like this. We don't wake up naturally and live like this. It takes practice. It takes thought. It takes intentionality to live to where we're living more open-handedly. So for some of you in here today, you need to become a first-time giver. I'm gonna have the worship team make their way up here as we're wrapping this up. You need to become a first-time giver. You have yet to give to the mission of the Grove Church. You've been coming, you like what you're seeing, you like what you're hearing, but you have never given to the Grove Church yet. I'm gonna encourage you today, your first step is not to jump to 10%. That is not your first step. Your first step is just to give for the very first time. To take the envelope right on there, put an amount and do it. And that is a step for you towards becoming generous. You're like, man, that's so elementary. You know why it's elementary? Because there's people in this room that have never given to the Grove Church. And for some, that's the step that they need to take It's just to begin to give, to become a first time giver. For some in here, you might be an occasional giver. I give to the mission of the Grove Church but not consistently. You may be the kind of person where I stand up here and say, hey, we're sending kids to camp. And you may go, oh man, I'm gonna send a kid to camp. Okay, that may be an occasional giver. You hear about, we're going on a mission trip and and we need supplies, I'll pay for the supplies. So you're kind of, you know, like the word, occasional. You just kind of give randomly here and there. When your heart feels led, you just give, but it's not a consistent form of giving but you're an occasional giver. For some who's a first time giver, maybe you've give for the first time and you haven't given since, maybe you need to become a little bit more rhythmic about it, a little bit more occasional in your approach. For some, after you've been given occasionally, maybe twice a month or whatnot, you then need to become a percentage giver. I consistently give to the mission of the Grove Church, but less than 10% of my income. You could be sitting here going, man, I've given, I've given once, and I've given on occasion, but I, I want to consistently give. But I just, man, that ten percent thing kind of scares me. I, I don't know if I can start there. Let, let me give you an example. Let's just say hypothetically you make four thousand dollars a month, four grand a month. So if you're a first time giver today, you may go, you know, I'm going to give forty bucks. I'm going to give forty bucks first time, first time giving the church. I want to apply this principle. I'm going to give forty dollars. For some, maybe you, you're occasional, so you give a little bit. So maybe let's say you only give $80 a month. So you're on occasion, first month of, you know, first day of the Sunday of the month, last Sunday, you know, you cover it in two paychecks. Then for some, you can go, you know what? I want to become that percentage giver, but that 10% kind of scares me. With this example of four grand a month, I, I'm, I'm going to start giving 8% of my money a month. I'm going to give $320 a month. I've gone from occasional to now more consistent, and I'm now a percentage giver. I'm not at the 10, I'm at a 5, I'm at a 4, I'm at a 6, I'm at an 8, but I'm moving along the way. I'm taking the necessary steps that God's asking me to, to become a person that is generous. Is this making sense? I'm moving along on this journey. For some here today, you go, you know, I've been, I've been given 5 6%, 7%. Well, then your step may need to be the tithing step. What the Bible talks about, setting aside 10% of your income. So you make four grand a month, $400 per month that goes to the mission and value of the Grove Church. And for some of you, maybe you've been doing this for years. Praise God for that. For some of you, you have never started in this step, or any of these steps. But you want to get there, and I'm telling you, this is how you become generous. This is how you become a generous person. This is, these are the steps to where, if you're living like this, you, you begin to pry one at a time the open hand to become generous in your giving. Now, do I believe with all my heart? that if you start right at 10% out of the gate, that God's gonna bless you abundantly? Yeah, I do believe that. But I don't believe that's where you have to start. I believe you can start somewhere and then watch what God will do. The last one, where you become irrational, where you give beyond my tithe to the mission of the Grove Church. This is where I wanna make a very important distinction here. And I'm gonna pray for the Holy Spirit to tell you what step you need to take. A lot of times we go, hey, if you want to give to camp, let's go ahead and write a check and and sponsor kids to camp. And what some people think is like, okay, well, I give my 10%, but now what I'm going to do is I'm going to not give my 10% and I'm going to give to camp instead. That's not what we're talking about here. There is a difference between the tithe, a 10th, that goes to the mission and vision that helps make the Grove Church happen. And anything above that goes to missions, goes to camp sponsorships, goes to benevolence. It's always above which we consider an offering or a special offering above the 10%. Now, if I'm being honest today, as I wrap this up today and we pray and I have the Holy Spirit speak to you, if I'm being honest, you're like, well, Andrew, where are you at? What, 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 how do you live? If I'm being perfectly honest, for the most part, I'm in the tithing category and I've been that way most of my life. My wife and I have given for years 10%, never below that. That's where God has always we believe that where God calls us and blesses us, we give to that church. Now, have there been moments where it gets irrational and we go above that? Yeah, but is it consistent? Am I a consistently generous person? I'm not there yet. I'm not. And God's working in my heart, revealing it to me. Okay, Andrew, what else can you do? Okay, you you, you you meet this bar, but what else can you do? Why? Not because the church needs more of my money not because I want to prove to people that I am so je- No, because God wants my heart. And he wants me to eliminate whatever it is in my heart in order for him to have it. So I want to give you a moment here today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this verse two you here. I'm not going to ask you to give today. Obviously, we do the giving every week. I'm not asking you to think about what to give. I'm asking you to consider what step you're on. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is not manipulation. This is not compulsion. When we do the giving today, I'm not asking you to give unless you're already prepared to do so. What I'm gonna ask you to do in just a minute to bow your heads and to close your eyes, I'm gonna count to three and I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you what step you need to take on here. What step along this generosity ladder God is calling you to take. Would you bow your heads with me here today? With every head bowed and every eyes closed, just when I count to three, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about what step you need to take in giving to the mission of the Grove Church. It'll be for you and you only. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And it'll be done without compulsion or without manipulation. For God will always love and bless a cheerful giver. One, Holy Spirit's putting on your heart right now what step you need to take. Two, walk in that obedience. Three, let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now in this moment. And God, I pray right now more than anything, Lord, that we would surrender our hearts to you fully, everything, God. Lord, if if money has our heart, if it's controlling, God, who we are, I pray right now, God, we would begin to open up our heart to you and say, Lord, take this from me. Cause me to become generous. I want to live for you. I want to be obedient to what you've called me to do. Do it once again in every heart today, God. In your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.